Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. We're glad that you're here uh, to worship with us. Last week, that was called rain. And we survived. We're here and the sun is out. Like I like to call Southern California winter. Okay, the sun is out. We're glad that, that all you guys are here to, to worship with us. My name is Alex Barrett and I'm the, the campus pastor here. And we are kind of closing in on the end of a series on identity that we've been talking about the last uh, few weeks. And we've been defining identity, uh, which is who we are at the core of our being and how uh, becoming a Christian, being a Christ follower, how does that impact our identity in life? And what you find is when you turn to Christ and you decide to give your life to him and he becomes your leader in every area of your life, that actually is a changing of who you are and it's a changing of your core. And so the, the role of the Christian is to align yourselves with how God has designed reality to work. And so we've been looking at identity with aligning ourselves with that reality that, that God has uh, designed. And so we've been looking through the book of first Peter and each week uh, we've been taking like chunks. And the reason this book is helpful on identity, because Peter was a disciple of Christ. He was uh, a follower. He was an eyewitness account of his teachings. He had a relationship with Jesus. He saw all the things that happened in his life. He saw him crucified. He saw him as he was resurrected and he knows himself, the difference that Jesus made in his own life. He knew himself, the fact that he was changed from the inside out. And so he writes first Peter from this account of what does a life look like that's fully surrendered to God? And how does that impact the attitude and the decisions and every aspect of our life? And so Peter's been taking us on a journey. And what you find in the middle of first Peter chapter two is he wants to get into the nitty gritty of the things that we face in life. And he begins to address how identity and authority is connected. That is, how does being a Christian impact our view of authority over us? Now, authority, I think, is one of the primary aspects of life that causes sometimes the most emotion in us. We have an emotional reaction. Some of you, when I said authority, you even just went, you know, you did a little twitch, you know. There's something about authority based on our experience, based on maybe we've been under somebody, a leader over us that was hard, or we've been a leader and that was hard. And there's just this aspect of authority, which kind of we, we struggle with. And so what I want to do is I want to actually address the emotion first, because I think sometimes when we talk about authority, we can fail to miss how God wants to speak to us because we're having emotional reactions. And so on the front end, I just want to give you a chance to just at your core kind of react a little bit so we can kind of get that out of the way. Now, I'm not discounting maybe bad experiences that you've had, but I do want to move past some of the reactions that we have. So I'm going to show some images and see if these cause any reactions to you personally. Uh, here's the first one. It's a judge. Maybe it doesn't cause a reaction, but if you've ever been to court and on the side of a judge's decision, when he lays that, what is that? A gavel? When he lays the gavel down. Your life is impacted by what the judge decides. That can cause a reaction for us. What about this one? Have you ever been sent to the principal? I have one time I was unjustly treated. I'll talk about that in a moment, but 
I was sent to the principal one time, and, and honestly, it was like the longest walk of my life. I got busted by a lunch lady. I threw my sandwich on the floor. I didn't want to eat it. She didn't know what to do. Sent me to the principal. And I remember that was the longest walk of my life. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, what about this? You ever been pulled over? I won't ask other questions related to police, but your view of if you've been pulled over before, how you were treated when that happened, all of us, can I just get a warning? All of us, right? Can I just get a warning? That's what I think. Okay. What about the, the next one? A boss. Now, if you're familiar, this is actually Michael Scott from the office, a sitcom, funny, very kind of quirky boss. Um, his mug he's holding that could be up to, you know, debate world's best boss. I don't know about that based on the show, but your boss, you have any emotion related to your boss or bosses that you've had? Maybe you are the boss. You have any reaction to that? Uh Oh, <laughs> what about this one? Oh, just got real, right? There's lots of emotion related to him. And, it, it, you know, it impacts us at, at different levels based on how we see things, based on our own experiences. There's another part of kind of authority and how we view ourselves. I, I believe there's a spectrum. And here's kind of the spectrum of ourselves related to authority. I'm a rule follower. I'm a rule breaker. And so the line is about here. And so if you are a rule follower, you can sit on this side. If you're not, you have to get up and you have to walk. Just kidding. You don't have to do that. But usually as we, we look at authority, it's, it's well, I, I'm a rule follower. If somebody says that it's the rules, I'm going to do it because I'm a rule follower. You may be on the other side, which is those are suggestions. Like if somebody says, like, don't do something. Does that give you an idea of like, dude, that actually could be a really good idea. You haven't thought about it before until you're told you couldn't do it. We fall somewhere on, on this spectrum. So we have an emotional reaction. We have a spectrum. Rule follower, rule breaker. We fall somewhere in between. One end or the other. But in the scripture, those actually aren't the main things we're supposed to focus on. Our emotion or the spectrum to which we follow the rules or not. There's actually something bigger that is tied to our identity. As a Christ follower, we're actually called above reactions. We're called above the way we label ourselves. Rule breaker, rule follower. We're actually, according to the scripture, uh, we're supposed to choose cooperation and respect in regards to authority. That's what God has called us to. And so I want to talk about. As Peter takes us on this journey, how does our view of authority and our attitude and our responses impact three areas? The first is like government, like our view of government and the leaders of the land. The second is our view of me and my boss, like the working relationship. And the third is specifically if, if you're married, what about the marriage relationship and family life? So Peter actually talks about those three areas. And so we're going to kind of highlight how does identity and following authority impact those three things. 
there's really this overarching understanding that's like the umbrella over all this. And you'll see this on, on the screen. And this is Christ followers aim to do good for the authority God places over us. So everything I'm going to talk about this morning falls under that umbrella. If you are a Christian, you move from like the stranger to God to a child of God. And so everything that you do represents him. And God actually wants us to work for good, to do what is right to the authority over us. That covers the overall response and approach that we're supposed to have. Peter, he, he gets specific, and that's what I'm going to talk about next. What, what's actually our directions for relating to authority? The first is he talks about us and the people that lead us over the land, the government, the structures that, that are in place, whether it's local, whether it's national. And we're supposed to show respect, according to what Peter says, for the Lord's sake. And this is what he says in 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or, you know, the leader as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, this first chunk here. Be subject uh, for the Lord's sake. The word subject is actually in the original language. It's a military term it comes from the, the, the word hupatasta, which is to arrange under. So a Christ follower, when they view the authority over them on the big scale, uh, our, our role should be, how, how do I arrange under the authority? And in this original language, that arrangement under authority is actually something that you do voluntary. You look to cooperate and to show respect voluntarily. Meaning you, you don't need to be forced to do this as a Christian. This is the role we're supposed to have arrange ourselves, cooperate, put ourselves under the authority so we can work towards the good. And the idea here is God has put the leaders in place. He's not absent. It doesn't kind of go around him. The leaders in place are put there and it flows through God's hand. And so God works his plan on a global universal scale. And then Christ followers have a role and responsibility in our own choices to cooperate with God by choosing to cooperate with the leaders that, that he's put in place. And so that subject, be subject, voluntarily arrange yourself, align so that you are helping move forward like a military would help advance. He goes on. And he says, for the Lord's sake, you, you do this not because of the leader themselves. You're subject for the Lord's sake. And he's tying again our identity to how we should respond to authority. We, we respond in a volunteer cooperative way because we represent the Lord Jesus. His reputation is connected to how we handle authority. His name is at stake in the way that we handle every aspect of our life. That's what it means. When you're a Christ follower and you are a Christian, you bear his name. And so Peter is saying you want to follow authority well because you represent the Lord Jesus. You take that seriously. 
You think about the outcome of your actions, the outcome of your attitude, the way that you respond. For the Lord's sake, you do this. And then he goes on in verse 15. And he says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so you can get that the flavor of what Peter's saying is this, this idea of honor everyone. If you honor everyone, that includes authority over you. But just in case you're kind of like, but does that include the leader? Then he at the end says, honor everyone. And then just in case you didn't get it, honor the emperor, he, very specifically. And he listed the emperor as like the supreme, the supreme leader, honor. Now, honor there is more than just this arrange yourself under. That actually is tied to you estimate the value of others accurately. When you honor somebody, each other, friends, family, and even leaders, what you're doing is you're saying God made them. They are here because he chose to breathe life into them. And he made that person in his image. Nobody has life on accident. Life is valuable and it comes from God himself. So life and everyone who has life has value because God made them. And so honoring is seeing the value of others. And you can honor the ember because they've been given value by God because he created them. Now, the honor here is not tied to the emperor or the leader themselves. It's tied to the position that they're in. And so we can disagree with an agenda that a leader has. We can disagree with their stances, the way they handle themselves, what they do. But we should not take the value of who they are. We should not speak about them in a way that, that robs them of that value because they're made by God in his image. And he's put them in that place to rule the land. In an ideal state, they reward good and they punish bad. That's why leaders are in place in every kind of institution. So honor everyone. And just in case we're like, but is there a loophole? Honor the emperor. See the value that, that God has given them. So this is kind of the first, how does being a Christian make a difference? Well, I need to choose to cooperate with the leaders of the land at the highest level. How can I cooperate and do my part to be a help and a blessing to those around me? How can I align myself to move things forward? What do I do when I speak? What are my attitudes? What are my actions? How can I represent Jesus and his reputation in the way that I handle myself under authority, even over the land? So that's the first thing that Peter addresses. We're supposed to show respect for the Lord's sake. Now, for some of us, broad picture, what, what does that mean? Well, it means we actually need to be careful with what we say and what we do. We need to give thought to it. The second area, though, I think is probably a little bit more practical for us, which is what does this mean for 
the other areas that maybe impact my daily life. And so he speaks to the working relationship. And Peter ties our identity in Christ, being a child of God, to now how we're supposed to show grace. And so we're supposed to develop grace-filled working relationships. One thing that Peter does really well is he knows that you and I, like everyone, try to find exceptions to the rule. Isn't that true? We like to find the exceptions. And so what, what Peter does is oftentimes he speaks about extreme situations so that he can say, I'm going to even tell you how God wants us to act in this extreme situation. So you can see even as rough as this is, this applies. And so he talks about this working relationship of the slave and the master. In the, the biblical time, this was a common thing that existed. There were slaves and there were masters. And he speaks of what that relationship should look like. Now, we're not in that position. If we have a job, we can leave our job. We can find a new job. In some of these relationships, the freedom wasn't there in the same way. But he's speaking more to the attitude and the approach that, that we are to have. And so he moves from honor everyone, love the brotherhood, honor the emperor, to now, what about in our working relationships? This is what he says in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then he goes on. For what credit credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, again, extreme, when you messed up at work, Lord willing, that didn't happen. Okay. But in this situation, if, if you've messed up, there's usually a reprimand. That's part of what a boss is supposed to do. So when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So he's saying you get in situations where you feel, especially at work or if you're in school, like a professor or a teacher, somebody maybe has it against you. Have you ever felt that? Like they just kind of, there's something they, they, by what they do, what they say, you feel like they're, they're not quite looking out for you. I've been in those situations. What happens to me is, is if I feel like I'm being unfairly treated, which does happen, part of it is you, you can get a new job and that's not a bad thing. But what Peter's talking about is we can never excuse how we're treated to act in a way that doesn't honor God. And so usually for me, here's what happens. If I'm feeling like I'm being unfairly treated uh, in working relationships, sometimes this is, have you ever done something that you deserved credit for, but the credit was given to somebody else? Has that ever happened to you? That's one of the worst feelings. Sometimes it could be even worse. If what if you have done something you should have gotten credit for, and the boss took credit for it. Has that ever happened? What about, have you ever been in a situation, maybe a, a project and you have a team and you have a leader and you look around at work or at school and you think to yourself, I am working the hardest. No one is working as hard as me. Yet everyone acts like we're all working the same. Have you been in that situation? We're just, there's things that are happening, whether it's credit or the workload, the division of labor, where it feels like you 
are bearing more than others and you're not actually getting credit for it. This can happen. What tends to happen is this occurs and it's normal is that we feel unfairly treated and it gives into fear like, I can't, I can't do this. This isn't right. And over time, it leads to animosity. And inside of us, we, we resent our, our boss. We resent a professor, a teacher. And we just decide we, we, we write them off. This happens all, all the time. We have an experience and inside we have this turmoil and we feel this animosity and it sends us down a path. What Peter is saying is if you get unfairly treated, even when you're not in the wrong, if you turn to God, he will give you the grace. See, my, my tendency is after the animosity builds and you feel like you've been taken advantage of, where does that lead us? Well, animosity, resentment, resentment, bitterness, can that stay inside of us forever? No. That wasn't a trick question. It can't. It's like turning the water on on the stove, trying to boil the kettle. Eventually, it's going to bubble, it's going to bubble, and then the whistle. Boo, it's, it's fully cooked. That's what it is. It gets fully cooked. And instead of a whistle... We lash out. We blow up. What Peter's saying is at the moment we blow out, blow up and we, we lash out and we vent and we, I can't take it anymore. And we, we're now taking control. We feel ripped off. We feel unfairly treated. So we try to respond in a way to get control back. What Peter's saying is Christ follower, you, you do not gain control back. You, you turn to the Lord Jesus to take care of it. And he uses this, this phrase, it's a gracious thing when, when mindful of God. It's this idea of this, this process where in the middle of that feeling of being taken advantage of, the middle of that feeling of feeling like you've been wronged, you're unfairly treated, you're ripped off, you turn to God, God, this is the way I feel. And this just doesn't seem right. Will you give me the grace to handle this in a way that pleases you? And God gives it. And then there's the second phrase. This is a gracious thing inside of God. So what it's saying is that as you turn to God and you're mindful of him in the middle of it, you're living out your identity. Our identity with Christ is connected centrally on our relationship with him. If he changes us at the core, the relationship we have with him changes. And there's this constant need for us to continue to come back to God in the middle of what we face and ask him for help. And we need help as we deal and as we follow authority. We need his help. But it's a graceful thing in the sight of God. What it means is as you're feeling this and you're choosing as hard as it is to be self-controlled in the way that you speak about your authority, about your boss, about a professor, God sees. And he will give you the grace that you need. It doesn't slip him. He sees it's in his mind. He's paying attention. So she give us comfort. As I turn to him, he hears what I'm dealing with and he gives me the grace to handle it. The idea that Peter's saying is this shows God is real. Because if you have a group of people that are treated unfairly, but they respond 
by turning to God and receiving the grace and can extend grace, that is so different than the world. What Peter's saying is this shows the difference Christ makes in a life. Because everything in us wants to lash out. I've experienced this myself. I'll never forget it. I was in 10th grade and I had a teacher called Mr. Barsati. And he was a math teacher. I was never great at math. I moved a lot from different... This is always my excuse. I'm just going to say this is an excuse. But I was never good at math. I I was in different... I lived in England for a while. U.S., Texas, California. I like missed major concepts of math. Okay? Again, thank you for listening. All right? Tenth grade, I experienced geometry. And I never want to experience geometry again. And there was a new type of, like learning, which was like group-based learning, where you had this group of four people. And if you had a question, you're supposed to talk to your group and you're supposed to kind of get your questions answered through your group. And I just thought like that, that doesn't work for me. I need the teacher to tell me what I need to do. And so I went to Mr. Marseille and said, Mr. Marseille, I don't understand this. What does this mean? He says, you know, did you, did you talk to your, to your group? He, you know, put me in, this is how we do things. He's the leader. This is how the classroom was being managed. Did you talk to your group first? I said, Mr. Barsadi, I don't, I don't want to talk to the group. I just, I thought I could just, you know, get kind of help from you. He said, well, you need, you need to talk to your group. I said, what do we even pay you for? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's what I felt right after I said it. Like, oh, I don't think that was good. Anytime your teacher like calls you by your last name, if they've never done that before. Barrett? Yes, Mr. Barsadi? Step outside. Now, he wasn't, we weren't fighting, but I knew what he meant. Uh, outside, Mr. Barsadi? Yeah, you blew it. Okay, Mr. Barsadi. And I remember he actually was, was gracious. He, he, he basically said, you, you don't ever treat me like that. You blew it. And, and I just remember saying, you're, you're right. I, I blew it. But you know what that was? It was, I didn't get what I wanted. Now, it's easy to follow authority when they do things exactly in line with us. I love that leader. Most of the times we love the leader because they lead like we would. What Peter is saying is, is you're really in line with your identity when you follow and it doesn't make sense to you. Now you can ask questions and you get your questions answered. But again, voluntarily, we're supposed to arrange ourselves under to cooperate, to help this leader move forward. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And what I realized is like this stuff was just brewing and it just came out. And I, I didn't turn to the Lord for help. And I think back like, you know, he, I believe, knew that I was a Christian. You know, I look back at that and I think, man, I blew that. I disrespected him. That like stays with me. There's just that pause. And, you know, I right when we went outside, I, I was like, I blew it. I didn't argue. I knew it. But just oh, and Peter's saying like, you represent the Lord Jesus. Live differently. Turn to God. He will give you the help in the moment. Okay, so we see 
this voluntarily, voluntary cooperation, respect to the overall leaders on the biggest scale, to the bosses that we have. We turn to God for grace in the moment. And we cooperate at the same time. And then in chapter 3, Peter talks about the marriage relationship. And so the design in authority there is, is to build beautiful marriage relationships. And that's tied to our identity as well. Now, it asks the question, is there an authority structure in marriage? Well, according to the scriptures, there, there is. And this is kind of how Peter defines it. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which of great worth in, which is of great worth in God's sight. Go, go back to verses one and two. The word submissive is actually the same word. Voluntarily arrange yourself under. So in the marriage, the husband is the leader of the home. That's how God has designed it. That's God's design for marriage. There is a leader and it is the husband. So Peter talks specifically to the wives first. And he uses again the extreme example to give you even if wife, if you have a husband that doesn't believe the way that you follow him can win him over. You will find favor by the way that you follow. Now, like for any leader, if your leader causes you to sin, you do not follow the leader. That's the exception. That's the loophole. But what Peter is saying is if you as a wife follow and show respect to your husband who's leading you, even if he doesn't believe, even if he's not a Christian, by the way that you do that, God works in that husband's life that, that he can see that there is a difference. And so to the wives, part of your identity is there's just going to be that pull in you to want to control your husband. Let me be real. There will be the pull in you to want to lead your husband. That is real. Husbands, I'm going to get to you in a moment. You're not off the hook. But what Peter is saying is you live in line with your new identity as a daughter of God as you cooperate and as you follow. And what's great is he also speaks to the definition of what beauty is. And he's saying women and wives specifically, you're beautiful, not because of what culture says you're supposed to look like. It's not your outward appearance. It's not how your hair looks. It's not the jewelry. It's not you fit a mold. What makes you beautiful is the fact that Jesus has changed you from the inside out. Women, let me tell you, you can get so caught in wait. The husband's the leader that you miss what, what Jesus wants you to get. And that is, you're beautiful not because of what you look like. You're beautiful because of how God has made you. And your beauty comes out when you actually follow the leaders over you, specifically your husband, and you trust God. 
The only way you can follow your husband is if you trust God. That's what you're called to. Then Peter speaks to the husbands. So if you're a husband now, it's your turn. Verse seven, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Anything jump out at there. Weaker, what? Weaker. That jump out to anyone else? Women? Speaking of strength, not value. And here's the way it can get real. Husband, if you are using your strength, whether it's physical or emotional, to control your wife, you are sinning. If you use your strength and how God has wired you to take advantage of another woman, to objectify her in any way, you are sinning. You're not living in line with a son who's made by God. And that is real, husband. You're going to want to get your way. And to get your way, you could use your strength to be selfish. And what Peter is saying is, as a husband lays down his life, you use your strength and you sacrifice. You lay down your life for your wife. She is your fellow heir. She has a value because God has made her. And God has given you this partner as a helper to you. And you sacrifice your life for her. And this is a beautiful picture. If you have a wife that voluntarily follows her husband. And a husband who respects his wife and sacrifice for her. There is nothing sweeter. And the world is looking at married couples to show that there is a difference. And so you have a role. If you are married, play your role well. And you represent your identity in Christ. There's no greater thing to see a woman who follows and a husband who sacrifices. And there's this alignment that happens. Everyone's getting taken care of. And so husbands, sacrifice for your wife. Lay down your life for her. When you wake up, do not think what can she do for you. But what can you do to help her? What can you do to love her, to provide for her? And you work and you work And you work until you can do that with the Lord's help. There's a little light, just perspective. There it is. But Peter just lays it out. Identity, let's get real. It affects the way that you handle yourself. The rule is over the land. It affects the way that you handle yourself at work. And it affects the way that you handle yourself in marriage. Then the final question. So what am I supposed to do? When I'm facing difficulty under authority, what am I supposed to do when it's all dorked up? Because let's face it, we can read this and it sounds like, okay, Peter, I I get it. In an ideal way, this would all make sense. But my situation, my experiences, the people I'm having to deal with. And so Peter, just again, he just takes the loopholes and he says, let me point you to the one as your example. And before the passage in chapter three on marriage, 
he directs our attention to, to Jesus. He's supposed to be our example for how we respond when we are unjustly treated. So follow Christ's example when leadership is unjust. First Peter 2, 21 through 24. Again, it's going back to our identity. For this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. I know for me, I have a lot of rights that I think I have. How I should be treated, how things should go. And there's times when you just, you read the scripture and God gets your attention and you, you realize that you have You have no rights. We actually deserve death because of our sin. We deserve separation from God because of our rebellion. But because Jesus came, the perfect, the perfect example who had no sin, and he responded in two ways. The first, when we face unjust treatment, we can't excuse our wrongdoing. There's no justification. Even if we are treated wrongly, we still have a response. Now, it's not saying that something is wrong is right. Something is right is wrong. It is what it is. But our response is always supposed to be, how does this represent the Lord Jesus well? How does my response represent him? And the example of Jesus is, even in the midst of being accused of things that he did not do. And even though he had the power to take out anyone who was coming against him, he had the power, the resources, he could have done whatever he wanted. He, he took it. He took it for us so that we could live differently. So we could have a different identity. And so this idea of follow his example, uh, if you've ever learned to, to, to spell, you've started to try to write words. You, you follow an example by this. Remember those? Oh man, I hated those. I didn't tell my teacher I hated it and my rebellion started later. Okay. But, but you know, you'd have to just, this is how you, you copy and the word, the example of Christ, follow his example is this picture. It's this imitate like you would to copy. So when Peter is saying when he was reviled, he did not revile. When he was accused, he did not threaten. He didn't deceive. As he did, we are to do. We are to copy and imitate that. And so he, he didn't excuse wrongdoing. You see that in verse 22 to 23. He didn't lash out. He didn't blow up. And then the, the, the last part of the scripture, which I read, is he entrusted himself. He trusted God. And you see that. If you could put on the, leave the outcome to God, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Again, the picture is continuing to entrust. Just like when you're treated unfairly, you continue to turn to God to get the grace. 
you continue in trusting yourself. You, you continue to go back to God. That's your identity. You go back to your Father who will take care of you. And the picture here is, as a, a father or a mother, if your child is treated wrongly, man, that gets you in a different way, doesn't it? What Peter is saying is in the same way, God cares for us as daughters and as sons. And when you trust him, that's what faith is. He will take care of you. He's not going to rip me off. He's not going to allow me to get crushed. He has not ignored me. He's not absent. He sees and he will provide the help in the moment as I leave the outcome to him. I don't know about you, but this is different. If you want to see kind of the difference that Christian is, it's all over the place relating these passages to authority. Our tendency is so easy to dig our heels in, to lash out, to respond just out of what's happened to us. And Jesus gives us the new way. So our identity is to copy him. I want to wrap up by giving you just the next steps that, that you can take. So if you pull out your connection card, as I wrap up, you can finish filling that out. We're going to receive our offering in a moment, and you can drop that completed connection card uh, in there. Uh, I, I encourage you, that First Peter 2, 21 through 24, which I just read, this week, spend some time reading that. Because for me, that's the helpful perspective. I know what I do, and I know the trouble I get myself in. But sometimes, what if I actually spent some time like meditating on what did Christ do for me? How did he respond so that he could fulfill the work that, that God gave him to lay his life down? And so I encourage you to spend, spend some time on that this week. Uh, the second is ask God for forgiveness for blowing up towards a leader. If you've done that recently, if you've blown up towards a boss, if you've done something where you, you just blew up and you lashed out, you need to confess that to God. And for me, it's just like this. God, I blew it. And I responded in anger and disrespect. Will you forgive me for that? Now, here, here's the caveat. If you did that inside yourself, we, which we do, like frustration, and we, we have like a wrong thought. If it's inside and it doesn't come out, you confess that to God. You don't need to go to your boss and say, will you forgive me? Every Monday I hate you. <laughs> and for an hour I resent you at my office. That gets kind of awkward. Don't confess sin that's just within you. Confess that to God. But if the sin that you're struggling with in you comes out and it lashes out and you've wronged somebody by what you've said, or what you've done, you need to make that right. I encourage you, do that. The Lord will work in that situation. If you've never done that, you could go to your boss and say, hey, do you have, do you have a moment today? And the boss might or get an appointment. Say, I'd like to just talk to you briefly. And you approach your boss and you say, you know what? There was a moment in which you did something and I said this and that, that was wrong. I disrespected you. And I'm a Christian and I really want to please God in what I do. Will, will you forgive me for that? you think that will have an impact? Yeah, you're, you're taking responsibility for your actions and you're pointing to Jesus as the reason for it. So if that's come out and you've messed up a relationship, 
clean, clean that up. God, God will work. And then the last is, is a blank. Just There's something you need to, to do. Just the next step that God's put on your heart. Write, write that down. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up, lead us as we receive our offering. Uh, if I've never met you, if you're new to Church in the Valley, I'm going to be hanging out at the front, and I'd love to meet you uh, this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your instruction, which gives us perspective outside of our reflexes. And man, that is what I need, God. I have my own impulses and reflexes, but oftentimes it's rooted in how do I get the best outcome. But when I read your word, I find that me being at the center of my life is not ideal and it's not the best. And so God, thank you for pointing us to the truth of what the God-centered life looks like. God, I pray that you'll just show us ways to follow well in our attitude and in our actions. And God, if there is just an area where we need to clean up, will you show us and give us the strength to handle that? And we pray against guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.